Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I am Tammy Munson, producer of the podcast. Dr. Christine is still on vacation, but she's going to be returning in two weeks. We are so excited to have her back here in the office. Now, this week on the show, we are highlighting another of Dr. Christine's favorite interviews. Today's episode is with Evan Brand from the Beyond Biologic Medicine series. In this episode, Dr. Christine sits down with Evan to discuss mycotoxins, EMF exposure, and much, much more. Now, Evan Brand is a podcast host, certified functional medicine practitioner, and nutritional therapist. He is passionate about healing chronic fatigue, obesity, and depression epidemics after solving his own IBS and depression issues. So without further ado, here is Dr. Christine with Evan Brand. Welcome everyone. I'm here with Evan Brand and we're going to be talking about mycotoxins, depression, anxiety, and fatigue. Welcome Evan. I know that we've, you know, known each other for a few years now and have had many, you know, conversations on the sidelines of what we're seeing, you know, in our practice as well as what you're going through personally. And let's just dive into your personal journey and your story because I think as we were talking before we started this call, so many people are affected by mold and mycotoxins and this has a huge effect on their physical body. Body, their mental emotional health, and also how they respond to energy and frequency in the form of EMF. So let's just dive in. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. And I remember messaging you mm-hmm. on Voxer like a year ago. I was like, Christine, I'm waking up dizzy. My blood pressure screwed up. I'm falling apart over here. What's going on? And you were kind of guiding me down the river. You were like, well, you know, this sounds like a pot situation because I was you know, standing up and getting super dizzy. So we were looking at supporting adrenals. And then I had these other weird things. So finally figured out it was mold. My buddy, Jack Wolfson said, Evan, you've got mold. And I'm like, there's no way, Jack. It's a brand new house. There's no way I have mold. He goes, well, you need to hire somebody. Tell them you have mold and it's their job to find it. I said, okay. And so I just ran some simple plate testing and determined that I did have, in fact, a pretty big mold problem. And so this is why I was feeling so bad. Every time I would come downstairs, I'd work upstairs in my office all day with clients. I felt fine up there. That was a separate part of the house that didn't have the same ductwork and heating and cooling system as downstairs. So it was its own separate unit where it tested zero mold. So I felt fine all day at work. But when I'd come downstairs and sit at the dinner table, I'd get so dizzy, I about fell over. And it made no sense. But after getting the plate testing done and figuring out that the dining room and the living room and the bedrooms all had a high count of mold and mycotoxins, then I knew, oh my God, this is the answer I've been looking for. I was pursuing parasites and treated those and got rid of H. pylori and candida and bacterial overgrowth. And I had cavitations. You had educated me about cavitations. So I had eight of them that I got fixed, but none of these root causes or I guess layers to the onion gave me the success that I've now seen by number one, getting the heck out of there. We stayed in a, my whole family, my wife, my daughter, and me, we, and our dog, we stayed in a hotel for a month to try to figure out what to do. Ended up remediating our old house, fixed it, sold it, bought a new house, tested it, everything's fine. And then step two, just really heavy efforts of detoxification using binders, lymphatic support, rebounders, saunas, 
Epsom salt baths, float tanks, chlorella. I mean, I'm just throwing everything I can possibly tolerate at this thing to try to get better. And so after six months of detox, I just showed you my before and after. I've still got a long way to go. And so that's the discouraging thing about medicine sometimes is that it's not an overnight fix. I probably had this mold issue in my body forever because when I was a kid, I remember my grandmother's basement repeatedly flooded and they just put some fans on it and it took two or three weeks to dry out. And I was hanging out in that basement all the time. I think what happened is I got about five or six tick bites last year. I think the tick bites just destroyed my immune system and weakened me so that the mold just really broke the camel's back. Some argue vice versa, right? Some say mold breaks you. Some say Lyme and co-infections break you. I think it's all in the same bubble, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I really appreciate you sharing your story because if you're out there and you've been suffering for a long time and you're not seeing the symptom improvement, mold is one of those things that is, you know, you said yourself, you have a new home, you possibly can't have mold, right? So there's some, sometimes people don't think, you know, if there isn't an incident of flooding or they don't smell um, something musky in their house, that mold could uh, probably not be a factor. And so how did you go about, like, what um, plates did you use? Um, and how did you uh, test, how do you recommend testing your home? If you're struggling out there and have a chronic illness and have not gotten the results, please, please, please don't underestimate the effect of your home or your work environment or somewhere where you spend a lot of time. And um, where should people start with testing their environment? Good question. So this is huge for teachers, you know, because during the summertime, all the schools turn off the air conditioning systems or they significantly reduce the power on them to save money because all the schools are doing budget cuts. And so I've got countless teachers that go back to school in the fall and they gain 20 pounds. Their respiratory complaints come back. They're dizzy. They've got joint pain. They've got insomnia. And it's all because of the mold in the school. So the cheapest and most effective way to look, to see if you have a problem, look for the tip of the iceberg, is get some plates from Immunolytics. Mm-hmm. It's spelled like your immune system. So I-M-M-U-N-O-L-Y-T-I-C-S. They're out of Albuquerque. A guy named JW is a chemical engineer who runs it. Great guy, very, very helpful. He spent countless hours on the phone with me through my crisis helping me. The plate testing is 158 bucks for five plates. I mean, you can't afford not to do it. You scatter these plates around, you put them on the floor for an hour. If you work outside the home, you must investigate your work environment. If your children have health issues, you must investigate their school. Don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness. If you get in trouble, put the plates on the floor, have your, your son or daughter put the plate in their classroom, After an hour, you tape it up, you mail it back to the lab, and you get a health score. And the lower the number, the better. The less colonies, the better. Now, there's always going to be some background level of normal mold, but we're talking penicillium that's really, really high that's producing mycotoxins, aspergillus producing mycotoxins. Um, Black mold doesn't really show up on plates unless you've got a really, really, really bad problem, but you don't have to have black mold. I had zero black mold, and I was sicker than a dog, so... You know, aspergillus and penicillium can produce plenty enough mycotoxins to destroy you. And then step two is don't just test your environment, test your test your body. Real-time labs has a test. I've not personally used it. I've personally used Great Plains, and it's a urine sample. According to the advice from our mutual friend, Neil Nathan, I took glutathione for five days to help mobilize mold. Because if you're sick, you probably are not good at detox, right? So if you're already at a disadvantage you may spend the money on a urine test and not show up accurately. So I recommend testing the urine for five days, start pushing some stuff out and then collect urine. And that way you can at least see hopefully a more true measure. 
I've not seen a single person test negative for mycotoxins. Now, granted, people like you and I are kind of the last ditch effort. Like we're the end of the rope practitioner for a lot of people. They've already fired five or 10 or 20 doctors before they get to somebody like you or me. And so I'm probably biased in the fact when I say everybody has mold, but Mm -hmm. based on the people I've seen, I've not seen a negative test result yet. Mm -hmm. So the immunolytics is a great lab and that's, um, you know, plates people can put around their home or their office environment just to close the loop because a lot of patients ask about the ERMI test or the Hurts Me Too test. And so what is your opinion and personal experience with that? And do you feel like that is also a test to help people figure out if they have mold or not in their home? It's another tool in the toolbox, right? So there's multiple companies that run stool testing, but I have ones that I think are the best and most accurate. So the problem is with like the Michaelmetrics, the Ermi and the Hertz Me is one, the cost, you know, you're looking at closer to $300 per sample. And so just based on cost alone, if you've got a a tri-level house, let's say you've got a basement, a mid-level and an upper level of your house and you buy one Ermi or Hertz Me test and you put that in the center of your main floor, you're going to be missing the boat on the basement and the other floor. So if you're going to be buying multiple collection kits where you're collecting the dust upstairs and middle floor and basement and properly identifying and separating, this was in the cellar, this was in the crawl space, this was in the attic, this was in my master bedroom, then I think the Ermi and Hertz Me could be valuable tools as well. And you could test all of them, but you know a lot of people... Due to the illness that this stuff causes, most people are already strapped for cash. I'm not saying that the plate testing is perfect, but based on the hundreds of people I've been able to help since I got sick, I will tell you that it is good enough to find whether you have a problem in your breathable air. Because some argue that like Hurts Me and Ermes are better because you're finding things in the dust and you can find things that the plate testing doesn't find. But what the plate testing finds is what you're breathing your breathable air. So if there's hidden mold in a wall cavity somewhere, yes, that may still need to be fixed and addressed with the mold inspector who can look and probe your wall and take air sampling and such. But you're breathing the air. So if you're symptomatic in that environment, the spores fall onto the plate and then it grows. So if you can fix your breathable air, you're going to be in a a lot better shape. Think about people in an apartment or a condo there's somewhere they're renting and they don't own, they can't just cut down a wall in their apartment complex in Brooklyn and see if there's mold behind the wall. But if we can at least test the breathable air using air sampling and plates, then we could put in really high quality air filters. We can do misting, we can do fogging with botanical oils, and we can see before and after, just like I did with my house, massive reductions of mold and mycotoxins in the breathable air. So I'm not saying it's the perfect solution, mm-hmm. but it is enough to get you better. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what really matters. Mm-hmm. No, I'm glad you um, shared that point. My um, friend, Scott Forsgren, has always, you know, recommended the immunolytics test to start with, and it makes a lot of sense. And so you mentioned a couple. So people find mold. You have the option to remediate or move out of the home. And I think a lot of people, of course, when they do the test, the biggest fear is the cost of remediation and whether or not they're going to have to move out of their home. It sounds like you remediated, but you still chose to move out. And can you just speak to how you've been guiding patients on really, you know, this first step, right, of getting somebody better is to get them out of the current exposure. And so I just want to get your opinion of what people should do um, once they get this information. Sure. It can be overwhelming, right? You look at those numbers, you see the plates, you see the pictures, and you freak out. 
that's what I did. And mm-hmm. so then I spoke with JW and he gave me some reassurance. He's like, Hey, look, you know, we got to find the source of water because certain molds are going to be more evident of water, right? So there's one called mucor that you can look at. Mucor is typically found when there's an active water problem. So depending on what your report looks like, right? Just like with anything else with natural medicine, if you look at a certain gut bug, there's a certain herb to help address that. If you look at candida, there's certain nutrients to address it. So just like with the molds, if you find certain species or genus of molds, you know, okay, this means I've got a water problem. This could just mean I had a previous water problem. This could mean it's just too high humidity, you know, so you can kind of figure out what's your problem and then you go into solutions. So I'm in Kentucky where just like the Pacific Northwest, we get a lot of moisture. And so if you have humidity levels in your home above 50 or 60%, you're going to get mold growth even without a water event, meaning your beautiful $5 million mansion that's never had a water leak ever. If you have 65% humidity in that place, you've got mold guaranteed. It's going to grow. And so the first step may be getting dehumidifiers and getting your humidity level below 50%. In my new house, We've got two whole house April air is the brand two whole house April air dehumidifiers that run almost constantly because Kentucky's so humid. I mean, you really got to try hard to keep the humidity at 40%, which is where we keep it. Now people may say, well, how did our ancestors do so well? Well, they didn't live in cardboard boxes. We live in cardboard boxes where we have paper backed drywall, which is the perfect organic food source for mold. And so when the Native Americans were here living in a teepee, they had plenty of ventilation to dry that out. They had the sunshine hitting on these materials to dry them out. And so now we've sealed up our buildings so tight to reduce our energy costs. But when you seal up your buildings, you don't have as much airflow and as much ventilation. And so things are stagnant. Humidity builds up. VOCs from carpets and building materials builds up, and it just becomes a toxic stew. And so another thing that we've done, which has been very helpful, And some clients don't have the money or they don't want to do this, but I'm just flushing out what I've done is to put in an ERV system and an ERV is a fresh air system. And so we have two small holes on each side of the house, one for the upstairs, one for the downstairs. And with a click of a button, we can start to bring in outside air, assuming your outside air is fresh, right? If you live next to a highway, not a good idea. I live in the country where there's no highways. So suck in outside air and dilute the indoor air. And then the air purifiers. So we've got, I've got Austin air purifiers. I've got molecule air purifiers. They both have their pros and cons, but I run those all the time. You've heard the saying, you can't polish a turd. (laughs) Same thing with a moldy home. You can't just buy an air purifier and everything's going to be fine. You have to either, if there's water damage materials, you have to remove those. You got to get your humidity down and then you got to remediate. So I spent on my old house, I spent over $15,000 out of my own pocket to remediate. And this is when I didn't have the full education of what I was doing. I hired a company to do a, what they call an enzyme treatment. It was a natural enzyme. It's supposed to kill all the mold, get rid of all the mycotoxins. And it was $15,000. And I got the plate testing back and it was not very good. It was barely, barely better. And so then I spoke with JW and he goes, well, he said the biobalance now Dot com. He said, there's a fogger that you can do. It's a dry fog. It's an essential oil blend and it works great. And it cost $2,000 for my house and it worked five times better. And it was insanely more cost effective. And so now everything's great. 
and we sold the house and moved on. And just as a preventative, we went ahead and fogged our new house before we moved in just to make sure we've got a clean slate. And so now kind of our maintenance strategies are air purifiers, dehumidifiers, fresh air systems, and then doing a good once around and making sure we don't have any water leaks or anything. I freaked out the other day. We had the ERVs on because we had contractors over and their laundry smells were filling up the house and I didn't want to smell dryer sheets anymore. So I cranked on the ERVs, but I took in all the outside humid air so much that the dehumidifiers couldn't keep up. So I looked in the basement and the storage room and there was a puddle of water. I said, Oh my God, (laughs) happening again. And so luckily I just wiped up the water with a towel and I looked and I saw the humidity forming on the intake ports for the ERVs. And I thought, okay, I'm taking in too much fresh humid air. I cut those off and the problem was mitigated. So it sounds like chaos when I say this all back to you. And it kind of is living in a place that has high moisture. So that's why some people go and move to Arizona, but they still have mold in Arizona. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I appreciate you walking us through this because it can just seem, again, overwhelming in this big black hole of decisions. And so this is, you know, a lot of practical uh, tips and resources for people to explore. So Evan, so mold, obviously, we inhale mold spores, and then mold can also produce mycotoxins um, within the body. And so why is mold so significant? And why does it harm, um, harm our physical bodies? I think if I could boil it down to one simple mechanism, it would be the suppression of the immune system. You know, I tested positive really high for mycophenolic acid. And when you look at the research on that, I didn't know this until recently. You know, I'm going to sound all smart saying this back to you, but I just learned this. Mycophenolic acid is what they use to suppress someone's immune system before they do organ transplants so that they don't, so that the body doesn't reject the organ. And so that tells you how powerful this mycophenolic acid is. And so Once the immune system is suppressed, I believe that's really what is the domino effect, which allows Lyme, co-infections, Epstein-Barr viruses, mycoplasma, cytomegalovirus, all this other stuff in the bucket. I think it allows those things to really take control of you. And so, you know, I popped up with a planter's wart on my foot and I thought, why am I getting a wart on my foot? And it's like, well, duh, my immune system suppressed. These viruses are probably going crazy. And so I think Nitric oxide is affected too. You know, I've had cold hands and cold feet for as long as I could remember. And now that I'm detoxing, my hands and feet are warming up. Mm-hmm. And so I know that my blood flows better. My blood pressure was messed up and now my blood pressure is back to normal. So it's interesting because if you look at conventional medicine, you know, you could go to a doctor and say, oh, I've got blood pressure issues. I've got anxiety. I've got heart palpitations. You may end up with a beta blocker and a blood pressure medication, but you're not going to get tested for mold. They're not going to recommend you investigate your work environment because your blood pressure always goes up when you get back from your lunch break. They're not going to think like that. So I think it's important to address symptoms as they come. Like, yeah, you don't want crazy high blood pressure and have a stroke. But for me, I was not going to go on medication. I was like, no way. It's not a deficiency of drugs. What is going on? And I'm just so grateful I was able to figure this out because you and I might not be having this conversation. Who knows? I could be in the hospital you know, fighting for my life if I wouldn't have known this and escaped that situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I, I think it's so important. And, you know, I had a mentor always tell me nothing's random, right? There's always a reason and there's always a root cause. It's just putting the pieces together to figure that out. And I'm, I'm grateful you figured this out as well. So what are some strategies that you're using to help lower mycotoxin levels in your home? So you've removed yourself from exposure, but you're still, you know, you still have 
you know, the mycophenolic acid in your body and these things that have been suppressing your immune system. So recovering from mold is really reducing the mycotoxins um, that you were exposed to. So what are some strategies people should think about to reduce their mycotoxin levels? There's a ton and some and probably most people won't tolerate all of these. So I'll just lay that disclaimer out now because at first I wasn't able to tolerate sauna. I think even you and I, maybe a year or two ago, we talked about how when I did an infrared sauna, mm-hmm. I was overstimulated for like two days straight. I literally, after one 30 minute session of infrared sauna, I laid awake and could not sleep at all. And so I think it was probably because I know that uh, heavy metals could stimulate the nervous system. So maybe I mobilize heavy metals, but I think it had something to do with mold as well. And so infrared sauna is great because you can sweat out, you can sweat out mycotoxins. It's been proven that okra toxin, for example, shows up in, in the sweat. There's some argument about whether infrared saunas are truly better than hot rock saunas. You got to work with what you have. So if you only have access to a hot rock sauna, that's fine. Like sweating is still better than not sweating. However, I personally couldn't handle a hot rock sauna. I mean, those things are hot. That's like 180, 190 degrees Fahrenheit. I couldn't handle it. So luckily, if you're more sick or sensitive, an infrared sauna, you've got a 120 degree, 130 degree sweating session, which is far better and more gentle. So that's helpful. Glutathione can be helpful, but sometimes glutathione makes people feel terrible. And I'm guessing because you're just moving so much around that your detox system can't keep up. And so I think really what you have to, and I'm learning this all the hard way, really, I think you have to start laying the groundwork with getting your gut inflammation reduced. So making sure your diet's dialed in, maybe taking some aloe extract or zinc carnosine to try to seal up your tight junctions. My theory is that if you have a leaky gut situation, you're going to be more sick if you use glutathione because- it makes sense that if the glutathione is moving stuff around, but the gut's leaky, then all the mycotoxins will just reabsorb back into the bloodstream. So I think if you can try to do some leaky gut support and get that in better shape before you mobilize toxins and get your lymphatic system supported, whether that's using herbs or self-lymphatic massage or rebounding, I think you're going to be in a better, less sensitive place than if you just try to, Evan said, do glutathione, I'm going to do glutathione. Mm-hmm. And then binders are really critical. So I've really gotten good success with this Toxies bind from Beyond Balance. I do really good with that one. And I've also got a bottle here. This is like an old fish oil bottle full of cholestyramine. I really don't like prescriptions, but Neil Nathan kind of called me out when I spoke with him and interviewed him for my podcast. And I told him, I said, I'm getting pretty good progress with binders, but I'm still sick. And he goes, well, Evan, quit trying to prove that you can do it naturally. He said, just prove that you can get better. Wise. Yeah. Wise. Wise. He's like, you know, you know, like a grandfather figure to me now after saying that. And so I said, you know what, you're right. So um, I had a friend write me a prescription for the cholestyramine and I started taking it and it's very powerful. So I'm not hundred percent sold on the idea because I think natural binders are still amazing. So I'm kind of rotating, to be honest, I'm kind Mm -hmm. of rotating cholestyramine and and natural binders like charcoal, clay, silica, zeolite, chlorella, and then obviously avoiding moldy buildings. So you could have a perfect protocol, but if the bathtub water is still pouring in the bathtub and you got the drain open, who cares? And so if I go in a building and I see water spots on the ceiling, or if I see mold in the HVAC ducts at the bookstore, I get the heck out of there. 
if I go to a, a restaurant and I feel weird, I get out of there. So I think reducing the exposure is key because many people don't know that you go to church every Sunday and spend an hour in a moldy church, or you go to the gymnastics and the gymnastics building is moldy, or you take your kids to swim lessons, but it's indoors and they don't have dehumidifiers. So all that moisture is making the YMCA moldy. So once you're aware of this stuff, it makes you not want to go anywhere. It makes you just want to like live outside in a tent. And some people have to do that to recover. But I would just say I'm very picky about where I go these days. And I don't go to places that I don't have to go. Like I'm not just going to go browse a shoe store with all those VOCs of rubber and a tire shop. I'm not going to go hang out at a tire shop and get exposed with all the rubber chemicals. You know, I'm going to try to live in a bubble until I can get fully better and then re-expose myself to see if I still react the same way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you um, have talked about this connection with mold and mycotoxins to multiple chemical sensitivity and increased reactivity. Can you talk a little bit about how um, your experience and what you see with mold making people more reactive, not just to mold, but other uh, chemicals as well? This is the worst part about it. Like this is the part that creates the most suffering. I was not chemically sensitive at all just a year or so ago. I had become, I'm getting better, but at my peak, I was so sensitive to smells. I had a contractor come over to my house. He had dryer sheets on his clothing. I could smell it. Five minutes after I smelled his laundry smell, my blood pressure went up 30 points. Mm -hmm. I would get so dizzy. I felt like I was going to fall over and couldn't drive a car. I couldn't go in Whole Foods for six months because I got dizzy every time I went in the building. If I smelled someone's perfume or cologne, um, diesel, car exhaust, wood smoke, bug spray, sunscreen, I mean, literally anything that has a smell to it, I tell you, it's the worst thing ever to have chemical sensitivity. I'd rather have a broken arm than chemical sensitivity because you know it gets better. But um, at my peak, I was wearing a mask everywhere I went. And it was humiliating. You know, people look at you like you're a cancer patient. I had this mask on. It was called a P95. It's by the 3M company. It's got a carbon layer in it. So it works amazing. It's kind of awesome. It's like walking around with an air purifier on your face. It's pretty cool. It's very effective. But I had to wear that because if I hit, if I had one exposure, I'd be dizzy for two days. And mm -hmm. so then I come across this term of mast cell activation, which I'm convinced that's what it was. And so I began taking quercetin and other nutrients to try to stabilize the mast cells. And luckily now I'm not having any strong reactions like that. I still am terribly sensitive to chemicals, but it's not causing very, you know, extreme sickness and stomach pain and headaches and dizziness and all that. Now, if I go to target and hang out, you know, in the aisle where they've got a bunch of towels with like GMO cotton and stuff, I'll, I'll react still. But, you know, as I mentioned, I just try to be picky about my exposures and I've just had to educate my family about, Hey, look, I'm super sensitive. So if you come over, you can't wear hairspray. You can't wear fake scented lotions. You can't use air fresheners in your house, or I'm not going to come over to your house. And if I do come over to your house, I'm going to break the air freshener off the wall and throw it away. Mm -hmm. That's my crime. That's my crime I do in public. So if mm -hmm. I go to, a, I mean, this is a public, I'm, I'm doing a, a public service. If I go in a restaurant somewhere, like at a restaurant, and they've got one of those puffers, you know how you go in the bathroom and it goes puff right in your face and throws the air freshener, I'll just break the thing off the wall and throw it away. <laughs> I'm ruthless. I just, I'm like, I don't want anybody else to have to suffer with this. I'd rather smell somebody's poop than have to smell fake air freshener in a bathroom. Mm -hmm.
It's yeah. very hard to avoid smells in the modern world. So with chemical sensitivity, you can't just quote treat chemical sensitivity. And I'm not a doctor, so I can't use the word treat, but I'll just say you can't just address chemical sensitivity. You've got to address the root cause. And based on my suffering, I'm determined that mold fills up the toxin bucket and then the chemical or the smell or the fragrance just puts you over the edge. So to fix that, you've got to fix the mold. Mm -hmm. It's like you become the canary in the coal mine, right? It's like none of these things are healthy for humans at all. But when you become the sensitive, you have to be mindful of all the things we should be avoiding to begin with. And that's my experience too, as we get the mycotoxin levels down, the resilience with the multiple chemical sensitivity improves, but it does, it does take time. And, you know, again, it just increases your awareness of what we should be avoiding anyway, you know, but it's hard. It's probably one of the most isolating and stressful and unpredictable parts of the illness. Evan, you mentioned that you're finding with your clients, there is an increase as well in EMF sensitivity with mycotoxins and mold, mold sensitivity and mold illness. And so what have you been finding and how do you think EMF, the, this intersection between EMF and mold, and is this also why we're seeing people to be so sensitive at this point? Yeah, well, your colleague, Dr. Klinghart, told me a couple of years ago, he goes, Evan, he said, if mold is exposed to Wi-Fi or EMF, it's going to make 600% more mycotoxins. And I'm like, whoa. So if he's correct, that's really scary because there's nowhere that I can think of to where there's not Wi-Fi and cell towers everywhere. That's pretty concerning. What I found, and this was really just like a fingers crossed, I hope it works experiment, was I had a client in London. This was actually just a few days ago. So this is pretty fresh on my mind. This woman was housebound and she had to move to the countryside where there's no Wi-Fi, no cell phone towers. Her husband had to work. He was chronically ill as well. And she was so sensitive that she could only speak with me on Skype for like five minutes, even though she was hardwired with internet and had no Wi-Fi, even just the flicker of the screen would, would set her off. And so we literally had five minute consultations. And I told her, I said, look, I think you've got a mold problem. Let me give you some glutathione and binders. It's too hard to do the testing across the pond. You got to pay a bunch of money to get it back to the States in time. Let's just assume you have it and let's see if you get better. And so I just did a follow-up with her. This was six months later. That's how, you know, I'd love to talk with her more, but she can't because she's too sick. So we did a six-month follow-up a few days ago. And she goes, Evan, I'm 90% better. I mean, I about broke into tears. I said, oh, my God. She said, I can go in the city for the first time in years. Mm -hmm. She said, I'm not going to stay at a hotel. She said, that would destroy me. She said, but I've been to a couple business centers with my husband where I know they have Wi-Fi. He's there working on the computer and she can hang out with him now and get blasted with Wi-Fi and doesn't have the extreme pain. What she was having primarily were uh, motor tics. And so when I know we need to end our consultation is when her head just starts like twitching to the side. She'll just start like, don't. And if people are just listening and they can't see me, I'm basically turning my head over to my shoulder. Her whole head would spin 90 degrees. And, and it's uncontrollable. And so that's how, that's how I knew that I needed to get her off the, off the phone. But she said that all the symptoms across the board, fatigue, the dizziness, the joint pain, the sensitivity, the, the, she felt like someone was burning her brain 90% better. And all we did was glutathione and binders, not even any prescription binders, just charcoal, clay, zeolite combos. That is such an amazing and, you know, amazing story. And I'm so glad that she got the results with, you know, just really a simple version of the protocol, right? That's that's fascinating. And what you're saying and kind of what we're 
you know, talking about on the summit is that the, you know, what's changed over the last decade is this increased um, EMF exposure. You know, the cell phone, the iPhone was, you know, I think first came out in 2007. You know, we're now trying to educate people and try to wake up to um, find alternatives to 5G coming to all of our cities. And so this increased exposure and of Wi-Fi and cell phones is making the natural molds or even the the water damage molds that um, you might be exposed to in your home that much more virulent and that much more mycotoxin producing. So then your cup is full way faster and you become way more reactive, way more sensitive and way more sick. Is that what you're what you're finding just to recap? Yeah, that sounds pretty accurate. And it's scary to say that because it sounds like there's no safe place to live. You know, I'm just a canary like all of us listening are probably canaries because they're seeking this information out. It's kind of a curse and a blessing in the same token, but it really concerns me because, you know, I'm a guy who takes really good care of himself. I practice everything I preach. And so I go to bed on time. I have good relationships. You know, I mitigate stress. I take adaptogenic herbs. I detox myself. You know, I do everything that I think I could do in my power and I still got this sick. And so I really do fear for the next 10, 20, 30 years, the world that my two daughters have to grow up in, because I just don't know if we're going to make a change big enough to stop what I'm already seeing, which is like my clients in Australia that have had 5G rollout, you know, they're losing hair in clumps and they can't sleep anymore and they're having panic attacks all day, you know? So I think while the urban rollout happens, I think the countryside is still the best place to live. I think Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos have good ideas about helping the world, but I am concerned that we're not going to do any long-term human trials or any testing on the 5G satellites. And so if the whole planet is getting beamed with 5G, I think the only sustainable solution would be to build yourself a bunker, basically, kind of like in the old days where in Kentucky, at least, people had cellars because of um, you know, you'd store your your vegetables and stuff, but also it'd be a good tornado shelter. So my thought is, and I talked with Dr. Mercola a little bit about this, this idea of creating kind of a Faraday cage that you can at least sleep in to where mm-hmm. hopefully your daytime exposures can be at least somewhat mitigated enough for you to stay functioning as long as you get your good eight to 10 hours of sleep in an EMF-free zone. Some may argue that's not enough, but what else are you going to do besides like walk around in silver all day? I don't know. Mm-hmm. No, I, I'm glad you, you know, it's a, it's a very, you know, big challenge and a big problem. And, you know, as we probably both know, this is going to take time and we might have a little bit of a worsening before the planet wakes up. And so I, I'm in agreement, this can feel completely overwhelming. And our sleeping location, I think, is the thing that we can have the most impact and control over. And that can give us that break and that restorative time for our brains to detoxify our body to recharge and heal. And so if you're listening to this and completely overwhelmed, think about what you can do for your sleeping location. And so what are some um, strategies? I mean, you live in the country, um, but what are some strategies that you do for your own bedroom to keep your bedroom safe? At our old house, I would turn off the breaker every single night. But I started testing my heart rate variability to determine my nervous system health, and I didn't notice any improvement cutting off the breaker. At this new house, I haven't been cutting off the breaker, but we do have a whole house dirty electricity filter running, 
And I measured using Dave Stetzer's microsurge meter, and I've confirmed that we've reduced the dirty electricity, which is a high-frequency noise that comes from the plugs in your wall outlets. We've reduced that by hundreds of points. And so I don't think we're at a place where we need to cut the breakers. I could experiment with it again. There are kill switches that you can do to press a button and kill the breaker. I just, I haven't seen much benefit. And I looked at the data with the heart rate variability, and I found it was a pain to go to the breaker box every day and flip it. So and there's really high magnetic fields by the breaker box. So mm-hmm. if you put your head there to flip the switch, you're, you're getting a hit there. So we have an Austin air purifier in the bedroom. We use the HealthMate Plus, which has the zeolite, carbon, charcoal, HEPA blend, something like that, where it's filtering out everything. And so we have no VOCs in the home anyway, but you still want to filter the air because if you're breathing in toxins, that's going to stimulate your nervous system and you won't sleep as well. We don't have any neighbors right now. There's a house being built over there and hopefully that guy doesn't use a bunch of lights because then I'm going to be mad at him. But (laughs) for many reasons like light pollution, which is a growing problem because we can't see the stars anymore. So we have no light pollution, which is good. So we don't use any lights at night, no neighbors that are blasting us with lights. So do blackout curtains if you have to. I do feel that people miss out on the sunrise, though, coming in their window. I love that. It's the best part of my day. So if you have blackout curtains because your neighbors blast you with light, you need like a switch to open those blackout curtains when the sun comes up. I don't have all the solutions, but I'm just thinking Mm -hmm. out loud here. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, we are more detoxing. I mean, my sleep was terrible when I was very toxic. I, I don't know how anyone's proven this, but I've heard mold impairs melatonin production. Mm -hmm. So I don't Mm -hmm. supplement melatonin. I'm sure I could, but the more I take binders, the better my sleep gets. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's pretty interesting correlation. Binders improve your sleep. Most people say do valerian root and chamomile and, and GABA and pharma GABA and um, skull cap and passion flower and motherwort and ashwagandha. Those are all great strategies you can do for your sleep as well. But for me, just detoxing has improved. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. I would just say, um, you know, the, the, the boring stuff that everybody else is going to say, block blue light, wear your blue blockers, don't use your phone at night, don't scroll on Instagram five minutes before you close your eyes, don't get into any big arguments, you know, like settle the score before bed. Hopefully you're in a good relationship where arguments are few and far between, but, you know, don't try to like debate finances and debate the next move that you're going to make in your business at 9 p.m. and you're going to try to go to bed at 9.30, you know, try to focus your conversations and everything on calming and relaxing in the evening. So luckily I've got a three-year-old and I've got a 12 week old. And so she loves being read to. So my, my oldest daughter's named summer. So the best part of my evening is I get to read books with summer. I mean, there's nothing more relaxing than reading. I am a bunny and (laughs) uh, other bedtime stories. I'm not thinking about mycotoxins and 5g cell towers down the road. I'm thinking about bunnies. So I think at a certain point, you just have to stop worrying about all this stuff. You do as much as you can. And then ultimately you just have to just give in and just live in the moment and say, this is a reality that we're faced with. I'm going to do the best I can, but I'm not going to be overwhelmed anymore. I'm not going to be afraid anymore. I'm just going to live my life because you only get one life. So let's make it the best we can. And if you have that mindset, hopefully you'll be able to settle down and rest. Mm-hmm. I love those tips. And I, um, I think that's a great tip too, with the binders at night, there's this whole idea of chronobiology that, you know, we have different, um, organs are active at different times of the day in our circadian rhythm. And 
the gallbladder and the liver are active at night in phase two detoxification as well. And so I've seen that as well. And I think that's a, a really great uh, tip to support sleep, thinking about it from this other perspective. So Evan, you gave us so much information, really, really solutions oriented. And I really appreciate um, you know this interview and your time. Is there anything that you want to leave our audience with as we wrap up today? Hopefully I've given a few words of wisdom and encouragement. Don't give up. Uh, this is a long journey. As I told you in the beginning, I mean, I just showed you my retest six months later of me trying really, really hard to get better. And I've still got a long way to go. So, you know, I've been working on myself for over 10 years now. I mean, I've been doing stool testing and organic acids testing and fixing parasite infections and testing and working on Lyme and co-infections. I mean, I've been in the trenches for a long time and I'm still not at the finish line. So I guess my advice is get rid of the finish line. It doesn't exist. It's an illusion. Just assume that there's different levels of health that you can achieve and try to get to the next checkpoint. Don't Mm -hmm. assume like my life will be great when blank, because then you may be 80 years old and your life still sucks. So try to celebrate the small wins. Like I'm less dizzy and I don't have blood pressure issues than I used to. I'm so happy and grateful just to be able to say that. Um, If you lose five to 10 pounds, but your goal was 50, be happy with the five or 10 you've already lost. If your goal was to get rid of panic attacks completely and you went from panic attacks every day to once a month, celebrate that. If your child was uh, on the autism spectrum and you got him off the autism spectrum, celebrate that. If you took uh, a tech questionnaire for your kid and he was very symptomatic and now his a tech score is better, celebrate that. If you, tested for mold and you didn't have any hallelujah (laughs) good so i think we we're in such a culture of uh, instant gratification and success and envy and jealousy of other people that we look out there to find contentment and happiness but you have to find it within yourself and so you know i struggle with depression and anxiety for so much of my life that i can tell you from personal experience that If you're not happy with yourself and in your own body, there's nothing out there that's going to make you happy. And I'll tell you, I told you before we hit record, as soon as I take binders, I feel happy for no reason. Mm -hmm. So my lifelong depression that took me through college and everything, it wasn't an antidepressant deficiency. It was probably a toxin overload. Mm -hmm. So make sure you get to the root cause. And if you haven't found the answer yet, find a new practitioner. If it's Christine, if it's me, I mean, I don't care who it is, as long as they're passionate and they can help you get to the root cause. So if you're not getting to where you want, there's probably a rock that hasn't been turned over yet. So don't just double down on treating your thyroid or your adrenals. It may not be that. It may be a part of the puzzle, but there may be something bigger. Like my sleep issue was a secondary issue to my primary mold issue. My joint pain was a secondary issue to my primary mold issue. You're... Uh, chronic fatigue, I've seen that as well, like my energy boost after I take binders. So chronic fatigue could be a secondary issue due to a primary viral issue, right? So try to work on primary issues. Don't focus so much on secondary and third and fourth and fifth level issue. Mm-hmm. I love that, Evan. So many great tips and what a great attitude that you have, you know, given, you know, being on the front lines uh, with your patients and in the trenches yourself. And I think, um, no, I, I think that's a really wonderful uh, words of wisdom to end on. And so, um, Evan, how can people find out more about you and your work? And um, if they want to see you as a client, how can people um, find you? EvanBrand.com is my website. That's the hub. 
Uh, I've got all the information about working with me. I'm just virtual. So Skype, FaceTime, phone, you know, I don't have a brick and mortar, which is actually a good thing for many reasons for people because they don't have to wait in an office for an hour and then you're reading a boring magazine. You just sit at your house and I'll call you. So in uh, the podcast is there too. I've got over 300 episodes on there. It's free. It's every single week. It's talks just like this. So if you have an issue, you know, start listening to the podcast and you'll get a ton of free information there. And if that's not good enough and you need further help, then feel free to reach out and I can help you get to the bottom of what's going on. Well, thank you so much, Evan, for your time. And we really appreciate your contribution on the summit. So thank you. Thanks for having me. What an amazing interview. Oh, I absolutely loved it. So thank you so much for joining us today. We are so glad that you are here. Also, if you are new to the Spectrum of Health podcast, we want to extend you a warm welcome. Dr. Christine and I want to hear from not only our new listeners, but our listeners have been here from the very beginning and everyone in between. So let us know how you like the podcast, what you like about it, what you don't like about it. You can simply drop us a line at info at drchristineschaffner.com. And let us know what you think about the podcast. Again, thank you so much for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. Have a beautiful day and we'll see you next Thursday.